the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. It's a big day for Diamondbacks fans and a big day for the Arizona Diamondbacks as they have designated Madison Bumgarner for assignment. Could be the end of Madison Bumgarner in Arizona. It sure looks like it is. Steve Zinsmeister, Alex Weiner covers the team for ArizonaSports.com. Nice of you to stop by on your way to the uh, ballpark. Uh, We got news before the game even happened. I know. It worked out pretty well timing-wise. Mike Hazen's going to talk just about an hour after we record this, so we'll get a lot more information on that. Yeah, we're going to hear a lot more. And Quick tangent. Uh, We were hoping to get some sort of clarity this morning. Derek Hall on the radio talking with Bickley and Murata Mornings. Um, I hate when teams do this, uh, and I'm not calling anyone out specifically because all teams do this, but when there is news to be broken and they go on the on the air and they basically say like, oh man, we got some tough decisions to make. We really got to figure this out. Uh, everything's on the table. And then seemingly an hour later, it was literally an hour later, yeah. we find out that Madison Bumgarner gets DFA'd, which I'm assuming that was in the works already. It's not like they just off the cuff made that decision at nine o'clock this morning, but that's exactly. when we found out. Um According to, I believe Nick uh, Picoro at the Arizona Republic had this information first. The Arizona Diamondbacks designating Madison Bumgarner for assignment. They will have to eat $34 million uh, because of their big contract that they gave Madison Bumgarner. Five years, $85 million. Hasn't worked out at all. No, and, you know, good on them just making a decision that's like, okay, is he going to impact our winning this season when we're we have something here they clearly have something here they're first in the division it's super super early but they have shown against a really difficult schedule that they can be competitive and the games that they have not been competitive in the 10-1 loss to the Dodgers the 5-1 loss to the Marlins and then in that final start for Madison Bumgarner where he gives up seven runs in three innings I mean they just he just didn't give them a lot of chances to win those games and because of that and because they have young options available to them it just, for them, made more sense to cut ties, kind of, it's a, it's a pretty difficult pill to swallow. He has one more year left on this contract. It's not just, you know, we're paying him a lot this year, and no, it, it's 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 next year too. But it, it kind of shows just how all-in they are on this team and this version of the team, that they are willing to, you know, swallow a pill that big in order to give themselves a better chance to compete with some younger guys, as opposed to just running out a guy every fifth day and hoping that maybe this is the one that turns it around. And I do wonder if the team wasn't in first place, nine and seven currently, if they were, I don't know, four and 12 and sitting at the bottom of the NL West, I do wonder, would they make the same decision today? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. We'll never know the answer to that. I like to think that they have enough confidence in their, their young players. And think about this too. Think about the message that this sends to the rest of the team. Let's say you're a young Jake McCarthy or Alec Thomas or any of the young guys that are on this team, uh, Tommy Henry, who we'll get to in a second, Mm -hmm. or even Dre Jameson or the others. This sends a clear message that, okay, that's a guy with a postseason legendary history, a guy who's won rings, all stars, yeah, absolutely, all star appearances, a Cy Young caliber pitcher at times, a World Series MVP. And we were willing to cut bait with that guy and his history. Because we're all in on this season. Because we're all in on winning. And if you're not performing from here on out, nobody's really safe is the message that it sends. And I think that's a really strong message to send to a team that we were hoping would be improved this year. It looks like they're hoping that they're actually in contention to make the playoffs. Absolutely. And, you know, back to your point, I think because that they've looked so promising and 
because that they're in, not only winning these games, but against competitive teams early on, that gives them more pressure to like, okay, he's not really working out. It's only been four starts, but we need to start getting somebody in there is going to give us a better chance right away. And I think you're absolutely right about messaging because, I mean, there in the messaging before last season and before this season have been have been different. Last season was about putting a terrible 2021 by the wayside, trying to climb the ladder a little bit. This year, it's like, okay, we went from, okay, we can put aside a bad season and get a little bit more competency to now it's about getting over the next hump, which is getting to 500, above 500, potentially competing for a playoff spot. And this absolutely sends that message, not only that anybody can go at any time if you're not performing well, but that, you know, we're counting on, we're betting on you. We're betting on this nucleus, this core to get something done. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty good bet given all the young talent that they have on there. And it shows a lot of confidence in the guys that they have in the building. There's a couple of options that the team could have gone with. Sure. Uh, as recently as yesterday, I heard uh, Gambo recommend this or, or suggest that it might happen, which was the fake injury idea. The, hey, you know what? Let's put Bumgarner on the IL and we'll say it's a strain, or we'll say it's arm fatigue, or we'll we'll, we'll make up an injury, essentially. They, they wouldn't say that outwardly, but they would put him on the IL. We would all understand. Yeah. He just can't do it now. first start wasn't nothing. There was something right. going on kind of at the IL. Right. And then you try to figure it out, and maybe he comes back in a couple of weeks. That was an option on the table. They chose not to go that route. I think they probably couldn't go that route for me, personally, because how long can that really fix the issue it doesn't fix the issue at all how long can you delay the inevitable because they had an off season where he could have improved he didn't they had a spring training where he could have improved he didn't uh he's had other stints like this last season where he could have improved and didn't so simply put i just he wasn't getting any better no matter what they did so i think that they ruled out the fake injury the other option would have been putting him in the bullpen and my response to that is they have better lefties yeah. In the bullpen. They have three. They have three right now, better yeah. bullpen lefties. Mantiply coming back. Kyle Nelson's in there. Andrew Chafin is, uh, for the last two teams he's played for and now with the Diamondbacks, he's been elite. So what role is Madison Bumgarner playing in the bullpen? So I don't think either of those ideas would have worked. I agree. I agree. There would also have to be a buy-in for Madison Bumgarner with going to the bullpen. I don't know how tricky that would be. I don't know if they brought that up to him or not, but I guess that's something to ask Mike Hazen later today is like was that was that something that you guys seriously considered um seemed a little far-fetched to me i think the you know call it the the fake injury i I suppose finding something wrong with him and just letting him basically go to like kind of like an extended spring or extended off-season kind of deal where he works on something in order to find some answers was the more likely situation It, it just seemed like if it wasn't happening already why would it happened down the road again. Um, quite simply, he wasn't getting major league hitters out. He wasn't fooling anybody, and it's not, he's not a guy who doesn't like work hard at his craft. Obviously, he's you know he implemented a cutter. He's tried calling his own pitches. He's tried different things, but it just hasn't really worked out to the point where they cannot rely on him to get out major league hitters. He's not fooling anybody. Nobody's chasing at his pitches. Chase rate right in the bottom three percentile of the league. Whiff rate right in the bottom seven percentile of the league. I mean and when you're like that, you have to be so fine in what you do, hitting the corners, mixing your pitches. You can't make a lot of mistakes because he doesn't throw hard enough. The spin rate's not high enough. If he makes mistakes, it's going to be really easy to see it, and hitters are going to clobber it, and that's exactly what we've seen so far. So I'm not entirely sure how 
you know, putting him down for a couple of months and then hopefully bringing him back up really fixes anything. Now that gives them a chance. So, okay, Tommy Henry will be the starter for now. We'll see what happens when Zach Davies gets back. What if Brandon Fott looks really good by the middle of the season? Then it gives you more options with the guys that you have that you're going to be hopefully building around later. I do wonder, and I, I don't know how to ask this to Mike Hazen or whoever with the organization, but I do wonder how Brent Strom ties into this. Mm-hmm. A well-respected pitching coach in the league. We know what he was able to accomplish in Houston with the Astros. We know why they brought him to Arizona. Clearly, there's a lot of young pitchers coming up, and we're going to talk about some of them here in a second, but uh, they trust him a lot to help grow the young pitchers. But how does a guy like that mesh with a guy like Madison Bumgarner, who has a track record, who is a veteran, who has been to World Series before and had success, and is trying to find this resurgence, recapture some of the magic in his career, and Brent Strom's trying to recapture capture some of his magic from Houston it doesn't feel like they ever meshed and I'm not talking about like you know do they like each other I'm talking like Brent Strom was hired in November of 2021 Madison Bumgarner while he wasn't great in his first season uh with the Diamondbacks although it was a short 2020 season 2022 and now the beginning of 2023 have been the worst of Madison Bumgarner since Brent Strom came along I do wonder if for some reason his teachings and his pitching just aren't meshing yeah, is that a fair thing to assume? Uh, it's or a question? fair question. It's definitely a fair question how they meshed. If it's kind of like a push and pull, if Bumgarner was stubborn with some of the things that uh, Stromy was asking, or if he just wasn't the type of pitcher that Strom wants, you know, this rotation to be built around. I mean, you know, throughout the offseason and early into this season, Tori Lovello has said this and Mike Hazen has said this, but Stromy's sort of, not demands, but like suggestions Request. for requests for the bullpen we're getting more fire, getting guys with better stuff, better heat. And that's something that some of these younger starters give them too. Ryan Nelson, Dre Jameson, Brandon Fott eventually. Those are guys who come up with, who throw the ball very hard, who have really, really good stuff. And Bumgarner is sort of a veteran who doesn't throw the ball hard at all. I mean, he's under 90 miles an hour on his average fastball. And he's trying to kind of finesse it a little bit. Uh, older in his career and it's just it hasn't really been working out it's not really the type of arm that Stromy suggested would help benefit this team going forward so maybe that has something to do with it too he's just not the prototype that Strom sees potential future success in Madison Bumgarner's career in Arizona in parts of four different seasons a 5.23 ERA uh, a whip of 1.38 yeah. Just really bad numbers. I mean, when you juxtapose them with his time in San Francisco, and I know that's not entirely fair, but there's a large sample size in San Francisco, and he never really dipped below the mean, but in 11 years there, a 3.13 ERA, that's fantastic. Yeah. A 1.1 whip, that's really good. And so it's not just like, oh, he had a rough go at it. It's a three-plus year sample size in Arizona where he's just a completely different pitcher. And to that point, I mean, looking up some numbers from the time he first got to Arizona, minimum 200 innings since his first start there. He's eighth eighth highest DRA in the league um, out of starting pitchers. That, that you mentioned 5.23 and fifth highest FIP at 5.55 fielding independent pitching. So it just simply it hadn't it didn't he had a really brutal first year in 2020. His velocity was way down. He didn't look like himself. A couple of decent starts at the end of that season and then 2021 was his best 
season as a Diamondback, but it, it still was a far cry from his better seasons in San Francisco. And then the last couple of seasons last year, especially towards the back half of the season and then this year, he just hasn't been effective. And he's been one of one of the least effective pitchers at limiting runs in baseball over this four-year stretch. So it just got to a point where they, they just didn't see him as a guy who could get them out, get them to the fifth inning, get them to the sixth inning, because he, he hasn't really been able to do that. He got through three in his last start as a Diamondback, and uh, that's going to be sort of the lasting image of him here. This happens with some guys. I mean, Zach Greinke lost a lot of his stuff, so to speak, but he's still effective for a team like the Royals. Not great, but he's effective because he's still crafty. And if you lose that craftiness, then all of a sudden you're just throwing BP. I think of other guys like uh, Johnny Cueto had a resurgence in his career last year um, because he was able to find the crafty. He doesn't throw hard. I don't even think he touches 90 anymore, but they can still find a way to get guys out. Madison Bumgarner just did not have that. Um, Looking at what is to come and who is going to replace Madison Bumgarner, at least in the short term, is Tommy Henry. He's going to be uh, he's reportedly going to replace Bumgarner for now. Uh, he's been in AAA. He's had some time in the majors last year. I think he's already eclipsed the number of innings he would need to be a rookie. So I don't think he technically think classifies right. as a rookie yeah, anymore. Right. There were four options sitting in Reno. If they were going to pull from Reno, it was either Tommy Henry, Slade Ciccone, who has just had a really rough go at it in AAA. So he's, I think he's just out of the picture for right now. Too new in AAA too. Yeah, he's too new. And right now his whip's over two and a quarter. So that's not good. Blake Walston, who I like. A uh, good left-handed pitcher, but he's also new in AAA. 22 yeah. years old and in AAA. His uh, walk rate is way too high. His strikeouts have been almost non-existent. He had an outing the other day with, I think, zero or one strikeout and like six and a third. So he has some stuff he still needs to evolve uh, at AAA. He's got plenty of time. Brandon Fought is the sexiest name of all the pitching prospects. He really came on the scene in the last year and a half or so, really impressing a lot of people. He's very, very good. He's got better stuff than Tommy Henry, without a doubt. But he's only got three starts at AAA right now. So he's also, I think, just needs some time to develop. He'll be up at some point. Tommy Henry's the guy. Uh, How confident should Diamondbacks fans feel when he hits the bump every five days? Uh, Better. Like They have more of a chance. Um, Tommy Henry came up last year, had a very good debut. You know, wasn't perfect. Uh, Ultimately... The walk rate was a little too high, which led to the whip being a little bit too high and putting himself into precarious situations um, that ultimately he struggled to get out of. It was his first test. The walk rate has gone down a little bit this year in AAA, not a crazy amount. Um, You'd like to see him sort of keep runners off the base paths a little bit better. But the strikeout rate has gone up from what it was last season. That's going to be really important. And I mean, for Diamondbacks fans, if they watched him at the beginning of spring training versus the end of spring training, he seemed to settle in, looked a little bit better. His most recent start in AAA was really good. Six innings of two run ball. Um, And so that's a nice sign for them. I mean, he's he's ultimately he's not, you know, he doesn't have sort of the profile of somebody who's going to be like a star pitcher for the Diamondbacks or anything like that. But he's a guy who has gotten outs at the big league level before. And all they need him to do is be steady, keep them in games, stay competitive, get them through five. And I think that Diamondbacks fans can have a little bit of confidence in his ability to do that, especially given who he's replacing. Yeah, Tommy Henry's the kind of guy, he pitched at Michigan, pitched in the College World Series not too long ago. I think that was 2019. Uh, He had the unfortunate turn of events where 2020 happens. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get his first full season of minor league baseball because of the pandemic. So he hits really hits his stride or gets into the most games 
at double A. Uh, so he was kind of accelerated, but again, missed a year. So college pitcher too, he's further up. along than some others. Right. Yeah. So even though his numbers in the minor leagues, they won't impress you. They really won't. I mean, ERA's most consistently near four, if not five. Uh, he's had whips around 1.3 or 1.4. It's not that good, um, but he's accelerated through the minors because of his age, because of his abilities in uh, pitching for Michigan in the College World Series. He's consistent. I think he's consistent. He's not going to be the worst pitcher on your team. He's not going to be the best pitcher on your team. Um, but for now, he seems to be the solution. Who knows? They might get Zach Davies back in a, a couple of weeks or I don't know when right. the timetable is for his return. Zach Davies might just immediately replace Tommy Henry at some point. Is that fair to assume? I don't know. It's possible. I mean, I think it depends on how Tommy Henry looks early on. Um, you know, it's nice to have Tommy Henry there because their other four starters are right-handed, and so it gives you a little bit of a different True. look. Um, yeah, ultimately, I think it'll be performance-based. It's kind of interesting that the three guys who were like primed for that final rotation spot, Dre Jameson, Tommy Henry, and... They Ryan all got Nelson, one. <laughs> they all got one eventually. It took, eventually. It took like two and a half weeks, and they're all there. Uh, but... Yeah, I think it'll mostly be performance-based. You know, For Zach Davies, it gives them sort of an interesting question about whether or not they think he can come back and be give them outs like that they wanted Bumgarner to give them. I think you know he's shown that he can do that a little bit better um, so far, but not a great start to the season for him. But again, it was only two starts, and his first start was quite good. So yeah, I think ultimately it'll depend on health and performance for Henry, but it gives again, it gives them better options than what they had. Zach Davies as a Diamondback, 4.20 ERA, 1.32 whip. Those aren't impressive numbers. Uh, his best year... No, but as a five, it's... Yeah, as your fifth whatever. pitcher, that's not terrible. Uh, he's been relatively healthy. I know that he's on the aisle now, but I mean, so it's kind of hypocritical for me to say it now, but he has been <laughs> relatively healthy in his time in the major leagues. Uh, five years with Milwaukee, where his ERA was 3.91. That's not terrible. Uh, San Diego was his best stint, where he had a 2.73. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that for now this needed to happen yeah. with Bumgarner. I'm excited that the team chose to make a decision not based on the money because it would have been really easy for them to justify like, okay, we're going to give him one more. Okay. One more. All right. We'll give him one more. Like I would have at least been able to be like, okay, like this is typical Diamondbacks. If nothing else, I think Tori Lovello at times has been, uh, criticized for being overly loyal to some of his players, giving them one too many chances. I think back to other players like uh, Zach Godley was getting opportunities in the rotation when a lot of people didn't think he should. Or the three-catcher system for a while that they were running Mm -hmm. where it's like, why are we doing this? It doesn't make any sense. And they were loyal to those players. And Jordan Luplo last season where despite hitting under 200 the whole year, they still rolled him out there against lefties just confident that he could do the job when he couldn't i'm glad that they made this decision today i'm glad that they made the hard choice and i'm not gonna sugarcoat it i'm not like super elated i know a lot of people i've seen on social media on twitter they're like this is a great day for diamondbacks i don't think it's a great day i I never wanted to see madison bumgarner fail like this i never wanted him to to lose out on a chance at employment i mean i don't even know that he gets picked up i don't know that he's a major league pitcher next week right um i like to think that somebody will give him a chance i mean the diamondbacks gave dallas keichel a chance when nobody else would i would think so just based on pedigree someone's gonna someone will want him yeah i don't know what role that is i've said for the last two years uh usually when we get around to the trade deadline i throw out the idea of the giants would take him back just for (laughs) bringing back madison bumgarner and what he meant to the bay area 
You know what I mean? Like if they keep losing, especially. Yeah, it just would have made sense. <laughs> it just would have made sense. But even now, I'm Bruce like Bochy is a manager again. Well, yeah, Texas. he would have to go to the bullpen. There is the only issue with that one. Probably unless there's like he could do the whole uh, retired quarterback thing where you wait until week three when somebody gets hurt. It's also true. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just wait for one team's big pitcher to go down and they take a flyer. If he's you. looking at Texas because of Bruce Bochy and they have a rotation with DeGrom and Uvalde, it's like, eh, someone's going to go down. They're a little bit brittle. Yeah, <laughs> I will I will give you that. Um, around baseball, there is some other news. Uh, I guess I'll hit on the Tatis news first. Fernando Tatis is back and playing in Phoenix tonight as uh, he has finished his suspension, 80-game suspension, under the uh, substance abuse policy. So... Fernando Tatis, one of the best players in the league, and of course, the Diamondbacks are the first team he has to face. Of course, has to, especially a guy who has historically kind of battered uh, Diamondbacks pitching 30 career games, 15 home runs, 15 home runs in 30 career games against the Diamondbacks, um, slugging 868 against them. I mean, it, he's had most more success against Arizona than any other team he's gone up against. So, of course, he has to come back against the Diamondbacks at Chase Field. Uh and not only that, but the Diamondbacks are also going to have to see Joe Musgrove this weekend, who has not pitched a game this year. Uh, toe injury in spring training, worked his way back, hurt his shoulder, delayed a little bit. He has not pitched a game this season. So two of the Padres' sort of premier players are coming back from you know the IL and suspension this weekend against the Diamondbacks. So, you know, if you talk about how hard their schedule has been, it's going to be a little bit harder just based on who's going to be on the field against them. Uh, until it lightens up next week. I thought it was hilarious that San Diego gave him a uh, gave Tatis a AAA, basically rehab assignment, but he's right. not rehabbing anything. Uh, basically, just to get him used to playing baseball again before he comes back to the majors. That did ruffle some feathers with some of his opponents who disagree with the ability to play a suspended player in the minor leagues. But in eight games, uh, he had thirty nine plate appearances. He had 17 hits, which is good for a 515 batting average. He was on base 590, slugging percentage of 1.212. I didn't even know it went that high. Uh, he did end up with seven home runs and also two doubles. So of his 17 hits, nine of them were extra base hits in only 39 plate appearances. Yeah. If you needed a sign yeah. that Fernando Tatis was ready to go, he's ready to go. I don't know what more you could ask yeah. for. Um, so he's clearly not a AAA player at this point in his career. Um, the other story I was going to highlight before we get out of here, uh, it was reported today that the Oakland A's are basically ready to move to uh, Las Vegas. And there's two things about this. One is obviously how it impacts that organization and the Oakland fans. And uh, Do you rename the team? Do you keep the athletic name because it's been a team for over 100 years? Uh, there's a lot of questions with that. The one that it seems to answer is the Arizona Diamondbacks will not be moving to Las Vegas now. Seems pretty clear. Yeah. And they, they've been pretty clear that if they're going to move, it's going to be somewhere in Maricopa County, maybe somewhere in the East Valley. But yeah, if, if anybody was worried that they're going to leave town for Las Vegas, uh, the Vegas A's were, are there to kind of stop them. Remember the Henderson thing when we found yeah. out that they were thinking about, they were talking to the city of Henderson, which is like just outside of Las Vegas, like the suburbs. Yeah. And we were like, Henderson, why would you move to Henderson? Like, surely we can get more fans in Phoenix than we can get in Henderson. Um, but yeah, it was basically reported today that uh, there's like a plot of land off of the strip that they're looking at, and it's I, I think it's a done deal. I think if you if you have the ability to move to Vegas, the A's should. They're dead last in attendance. Uh, they're dead last, not in revenue necessarily. Well, I think revenue, yes, but profits, they still make a lot of profit because they don't pay their players anything. Their salaries. Yeah, just I'd say a lot of the attendance stuff low. is also 
their own doing. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. 100%. And they're sort of distancing themselves from the city, it seems yeah. like, and the breadcrumbs are there. You could also make the case that they shouldn't be allowed to relocate with how poorly they are managed. And Just run. as a punishment, it's like, okay, win 80 games, then you can then you can relocate. Right, because relocation almost feels like a good thing for them, right? Yeah, that's what they want. Yeah. yeah, and the league wants it too, I'm sure. I mean, while they'd want to do right by Oakland, I would think, there's already a team relatively in that market in San Francisco, not too far. I don't know if you've ever made the drive from Oakland to San Francisco. It's about 10 minutes if you do it right. Um, what time. <laughs> yeah, it depends on what time, I guess. What day? Um, somebody's going to call me maybe out a, on that maybe for a, sure. Maybe a Sunday. Maybe a Sunday game. But... I'll put it to you this way. I've taken an Uber and it wasn't that bad. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think moving to Vegas is going to solve some of their problems. Here's the question, though. Do you, re, uh, do you reintroduce the team with a new name? Or do you stick with the athletic brand that has existed in Major League Baseball for decades? I think you got to stick with the athletics. I think it's just too iconic of a name, too much history behind it. I know they're moving cities. They've moved cities before and kept the name. Yeah. So I think that also gives you an opportunity to do that. Unless Vegas just kind of totally wants its own thing. But it's I, up I to ownership. Like, I feel like it'd be hard to, to to rename them. I mean, the Raiders didn't rename anything. I mean, they just they kept the same uniforms, the same team name. This just the Las Vegas Raiders, not the Oakland Raiders. Now I think it would be the same. Yeah, they've been in Oakland since 1968. So what is that? Roughly 55 years, I think, if I'm doing my math right. Um, they were in Kansas City for just over a decade, about 12 years in the 50s and 60s. And then they were the Philadelphia Athletics for roughly 50 years uh, at the beginning of that century. So, yeah, they've been around since 1901. I think it would be hard to change your organization team name. But, I mean, teams have done it in the past, right? Like the Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens. Now, I realize that they renamed the new organization, the Cleveland Browns, so it felt like, to people not from Cleveland, I'm from Cleveland, by the way, Okay. to people not from Cleveland, they're like, oh, no big deal. To me, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> what's going on here? Is Jim Brown a Raven or a Brown? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> Is Ray Lewis the greatest all-time Cleveland Brown? How does this work? Um, but yeah, I would think they keep the Athletics name. They could do a rebrand. They could change the colors and try to match. Oh, I wouldn't. You don't think so? I mean, I just I like the green and yellow, so I wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard because you don't want to tick off your current fan base for what it is, even if they do have low attendance. It's not like there's zero Oakland A fans out there. Um, but you also want to do what's best to market to a new a new area. So I don't know. They could go with a, a fresher... Maybe maybe it's a retooling of what they already have. Keep the color scheme, keep all that, but just make a new. I don't know. Yeah. I just feel Some like sort it, of Las Vegasy uh, alternate jersey or something. Yeah. Either way, uh, they're not going to be in Vegas until at least I think like twenty twenty seven or twenty eight something like that. So we got a couple years before this becomes relevant. A couple years before the Oakland days become relevant too. I would think because they might be good by then. <sighs> I don't know, man. I really doubt it. Everybody that does well in Oakland ends up getting traded. I saw a tweet the other day. It was uh, the lineup for the Oakland A's today if all their players had been kept. So like Matt Olson and Matt Chapman, Chapman and Murphy, would Marcus Simeon, yeah. and, you know, like guys who were there at one point. Starling Marte. It's a really impressive list. It's just that zero of them are actually still on the team. All right. Huge day for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Madison Bumgarner, DFA'd. He will not be a part of the team going forward or at least... This is the first step in him no longer being a Diamondback. Tommy Henry will replace him in the starting rotation. For Alex Weiner, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to the Ain't No Fang podcast here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.